Hello and welcome back to Division One Rejects. This is episode three. I'm your host, Kobe Manzo, joined today by Zach Keen. How you guys doing? Just going to be the two of us today. Unfortunately, Connor could not be with us, but today we've got a packed show and we've got a guest from Grand Valley State University coming on the show pretty soon here, just in a minute. We are going to talk all about the upsets from last week of college football, get into a little bit of reactions from NFL week four and the COVID situation that is going on right now in the National Football League. And stick around till the end of the podcast. We'll actually be touching on the new $1 billion practice facility that will be coming to South Carolina to a Carolina Panthers team. So, like I said in previous episodes, this podcast is recorded on YouTube. Obviously, if you're watching right now, this is on YouTube. But your friends can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Basically, wherever they listen to podcasts is where you'll find us. Our guest for today's show is a previous first-team All-State defensive lineman named to the Lansing Journal Dream Team his senior year, tallying 64 tackles and 8 sacks in his senior year from Mason High School, now a freshman at Grand Valley State University, Jack Gilchrist. How's it going, Jack? Nice to have you on, my man. It's going good. Thanks for having me. Of course. Now, what has the adjustment been like for you coming into Grand Valley State as a freshman in a very similar situation to Zach and I here, not really having experience with college football and coming in with COVID rampant as it is? Um, it's been interesting uh, just seeing what uh, going from your high school to college and being a freshman and not understanding what, what the expectations are and having to learn learn the culture and learn how to compete and do all sorts of that stuff different from your high school and then um, school is a totally different aspect so online learning as you guys know has been you know it's been a challenge so yeah very much so um you talk about that culture that you're going to have to try and learn there at Grand Valley um is that one of the reasons that you chose Grand Valley what was it about the university the school the program the football team what was it about that that made your decision easy coming out of high school um yeah uh, you could understand that. Um, well, I could understand from the multiple times I was here, for whether it be for games or just being on campus visits. Um, you could understand what the culture was about and what what they want to do here. So, um, yeah, that and um, I got the sense from my position coach, the D line coach here, Coach Bibbs, that um, he knows full full well what he's doing in terms of technique schemes. Um, everything is, is set up here nicely. So That's perfect. That relationship between you and your, especially your position coach, like you said, your D-line coach is huge, just having that uh, relationship and having that trust. But more on, like, I guess the player and the personnel side of things, as you know, I'm sure, Grand Valley brought in 27 incoming freshmen this year according to their roster. And the interesting part of that is five of them happened to be on the defensive line. And I think our mutual friend Jaden said that you were possibly rooming with a couple of these guys. I just wanted to know what your mindset was competition-wise. Obviously, you get to compete with a bunch of these kids that were, you know, all the dudes at their high school coming to the next level. How have you viewed that? Yeah, the dudes is a good term to describe them as. Um, one of my roommates is a D-lineman. The other one is O-lineman. Uh, okay. Um, so uh, D line in my room here I've known since third grade through wrestling. So um, we've known each other for a long time and kept in touch. So I've known him. And then obviously um, right now with COVID, we've been lifting in position groups. So um, and through the first couple weeks, you get um, to know all the freshmen and more specifically your position group freshmen. Um, so no, it's been nice seeing all those guys and already knowing some of them. 
Yeah, seriously. Now, what has it been like? You were talking about right there, just like the freshman class obviously is going to be a little bit closer. You get to spend a lot of time with them during this kind of hybrid off season. But how much of a challenge has it been? I know for us, it's been a little bit difficult, especially with masks and other things preventing us. How difficult has it been to start meeting the upperclassmen, especially like maybe not in your position group, but just from around the team? Um, it's been more difficult, uh, according to the coaches, than it has been in previous years. So, um, they've uh, tried to do stuff like Zooms and um, Zoom calls, um, small group meetings. We can talk about uh, non-football related things and um, just other ways of trying to get us with them. I know we we lift with them and we do position work with them. So um, that stuff allows us to be around them. But otherwise, other than that, it's been challenging. Yeah, I get that for sure. Now, uh, talk about your head coach a little bit. Matt Mitchell is his ninth year at Grand Valley. Now, he's been on the staff for over nine years, just ninth year as a head coach, been to national championships with you guys. But last year, fourth in the GLIAC, lose to Ferris State, Wayne State, and you got a heartbreaking loss to Ashland there in, like, the last second of the game. I remember watching that game. It was nuts. But what is it about you guys this year that – um, you know, like, like you said, I don't know how, how close you are with these upperclassmen and these guys, and you're still getting used to this culture, but what is your vibe and what's going to get you guys back to the top of the GLIAC this year? Um, I actually just saw that uh, Ashlyn Hail Mary reposted on ESPN College Football. Oh, man. Instagram, so that, and it's been on TikTok and other, other stuff, too. So, you know, we talked about it, and he had uh, actually the game I came here for was the game after that, so okay. he addressed it. and you know they move on but yeah um in terms of this year they're trying to do uh, like full, trying to get back to full potential obviously just like everyone else and um doing everything that coach mitchell and these coaches believe that is right for us to get back on track whether it be lifting or position work at this time or um small group meetings to talk about other things so it's it's been uh interesting and you know it it uh we adapt as as the time goes forward. So um, it depends on what uh, what the Otto County um, people want to do moving forward. That's what will determine what we're able to do. Yeah, I get that. And like you said, it's it's not so much just the football program, but it's really the county-wide situation and statewide situation at this level of COVID and managing that and who makes the decisions um, in the state with the governor and then individual counties. Now, you guys were placed on lockdown for a little bit. Isn't that right? Yeah, we. Uh, I think we just got off of that. Okay. Um, I think Monday we got off of that. It was like, uh, you know, because they do a ton of testing here. Um, okay. Uh so, you know, the Ottawa County um, people were not so happy with um, the positive cases that were coming back on these tests, and they decided that a lockdown was best, so we moved forward with that, and um, we just got off that, so it's been cool. That's good. Now, what were the football operations like during that? I'm assuming it was a two-week period until they cleared most people? Yeah. Um, uh, classes? I think classes still um, maintained uh, like high flex, high streaming flex stuff. So you could either go or um, keep in touch on the live stream. And then okay. football wise, we um, I think we were I think we're still obligated to have a doctor from the area or multiple be at every practice or lift. So they have to they're paid to be here and watch us to make sure we're 
maintaining our social distance. So yeah. that's been the main adjustment. Yeah, I think you guys are definitely fortunate to at least have some, you know, some capacity of football activities during that two-week period. I know Michigan Tech just this last week, and actually right now their whole football program is at a standstill because their campus has moved to 100% online classes. So you guys are definitely pretty fortunate about that. But what has been your favorite part, I guess, right now? If you could pick one thing, I'll put you on the spot. If you could pick one thing about college football and Grand Valley State in general, what has it been so far for you? Uh, what do you mean that I've liked the most? Yeah, like your favorite aspect of this college football, even with COVID and everything going on. Um, it's definitely just the guys that I'm around. Um, that's who keeps you in it. That's who, you know, uh, that's who who makes everything work. Is you know, just those little moments that you get with the guys, whether it be in the locker room or um, out of practice or even going to get something to eat afterwards. So it's definitely been the teammates here for me. That's huge. Um, I wanted to talk about one more thing here before I let you go, and that's the new facilities you guys have down there in Grand Rapids, and that's uh, coming from over 700 donors that contributed to the Jamie Hosford Football Center, which is over 22,000 square feet and pretty much houses everything you guys need from locker rooms to meeting rooms and everything. I've had the chance to be in there uh, on a couple of visits in the past, and is this just the Grand Valley way? You guys just do everything one step ahead, and that's, that high expectation, is that carried across all platforms? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, there are specific rules that go into the hospital center. You, you can't eat here or you can't bring food, you know, it's, Interesting. it's treated with high, um, honor. And, um, Jamie Hosford was a great, uh, Grand Valley football player on the defensive line. And he, uh, played a ton of sports here. So, um, the alumni house came out and a lot of people wanted it to be named after him. So that's um, awesome. It what yeah, I went into that and, uh, you know, it's been super cool. I, I remember seeing that on Twitter um, sometime last year, and, you know, I noticed that it, it, it was definitely pretty cool, and it's been great to be in here and uh, very fortunate to be around a facility like this every day. Seriously, man. Well, I love your attitude. Just like that's – I'm in this very same boat with you. Just very fortunate to be here where we're at and, you know, never take a thing for granted, and we get to play this great game all the time. But uh, I appreciate you coming on here very much, my man. You've very well spoken, and I've uh, loved talking to you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I'll definitely be uh, checking out this week's um, this week's uh, episode, and I know I checked in the last week a little bit after you sent it to me. So, thanks for having me on. Of course, boss. We'll have a good one, and uh, good luck. Hopefully, I'll be seeing you in the spring. See you, man. You too. Sounds good. Now on to college football. There were eight ranked teams with losses this past week of college football competition. And the most notable one for me was number 18, Oklahoma, who is out of the top 25 after another loss this week, this time at the hands of Iowa State. Iowa State has had kind of a rocky season, but they showed up and showed out against Oklahoma. And this is the first 0-2 start to Big 12 conference play since 1998 for the Sooners, excuse me, and the first time being unranked since 2014. They've had such an awesome past offensively. Obviously, in the Big 12, the offenses really dominate this league, um, but Talk about the quarterback play a little bit from Oklahoma and how's that? How that's different from past years. Uh, honestly, I think Spencer Rattler is—he's still a talented kid. I yeah. mean, you can't you can't knock him for that. Um, you know, I think obviously the major difference between you know the rest of the guys. Obviously, you have you have Baker, Kyler, Jalen, all come through there. All have you know those are amazing players, big all big time players. Um, you know, Baker and Kyler. Uh, Heisman and then uh, Jalen, a finalist. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, those, those guys were all experienced at their time at Oklahoma. You got to think about that. You know, Spencer sat behind, you know, Jalen for one year for his true freshman season. Um, but then he has to come in this year and he, he is that guy now Baker, you know, he goes to Texas tech, then transfers, has to sit out a year there, plays a few years there. And, you know, finally gets that Heisman on his, in his senior year. But, uh, and then Kyler first originally at Texas A&M, then transfers, sits behind Baker and then gets his time to shine and then wins the Heisman. So yeah. They Jaylen, had more time to develop. I mean, Jalen had, don't, don't get me wrong. Cause he was lights out at Alabama. Yeah. I mean, Tua came in and, you know, obviously won them the national championship and then, which ultimately made him transfer. Um, and speaking of which I loved when he came in there at the sec championship yes. that, that year and, yeah. you know, brought them back against Georgia, but <clears throat> you know, that was really good to see. But anyways, the, I think the major thing is like all of those guys that we just talked about are, they had a lot of experience before taking the keys to that Oklahoma offense. Spencer Rattler had one year before, you know, necessarily taking that job over. Um, I still think he's a talented kid. I still, uh, he's got a lot of upside right now. He's struggling, but, uh, um, I'm not too worried about him. I think Oklahoma, It's it's been a rough start, and obviously now they're out of the top 25, which is not looking good for them. No. But I think, you know, Spencer Rattler has some – he's got some years left in his eligibility, and I think they'll they'll turn it around, and especially once COVID – after uh, COVID is said and done, I think they'll still be, you know, one of those top-tier teams. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously not the ideal start for a team like Oklahoma, and their playoff contention at this point is going to be non-existent right now with their start, and especially if, as you continue to move down the schedule, it's not like they're going to let up and just have a couple of cupcake games as they move on. Spencer's going to have to grow up, and he's going to have to grow up quick, quick, excuse me. And I think he I think he has a potential to do that, like you're saying. I think he has the talent, the pure arm talent, the ability to move around and make plays outside the pocket, and that's something that all of those dynamic uh, NFL caliber quarterbacks have done in the past for Oklahoma and the one thing that I keep coming back to is the wagon flip last year for Oklahoma pregame and that is really summarized from the end of last year all the, in the college uh, national playoffs and then up to this year that has really summarized the program and kind of a little bit of a downhill spiral but I think I think we'll see them recover, maybe not bounce back and be this elite caliber team that we're so used to seeing out of Oklahoma, but I think they're going to bounce back and still be towards the top, if not the top of that Big 12, which is full of these dynamic offenses and sometimes lackluster defenses. It really can be a shootout literally every single week because of a talented quarterback and wide receiver core, and sometimes I feel like Maybe the defense isn't so like neglected, but there really just isn't as much of an emphasis as like a Big Ten or an SEC where these defenses are from like a Clemson or a Michigan defense. These things that are year in and year out, something that opponents really have to look for. And Oklahoma's defense right now is giving up over 400 yards a game and 75 points in the last two games. I don't care how good your offense is. When your defense is letting up numbers like that, how are you supposed to win? Yeah, honestly, it's... It's almost like uh, it's it's hard to watch just because you know they I think Oklahoma has a talented offense and um, should be contending with pretty much any team you know given they have like a you know a, a Big Ten or maybe an SEC defense I think they're contending with anybody you know in the league but it's it's just hard to watch you know um, watching all those talented guys on offense and then they have to keep going out there and pretty much having to score every single drive because it needs to be a shootout in order for them to win those big time games. And, you know, giving up 400 yards and then 75 points, you know, that's a, that's a lot of drives that, you know, offenses need to put together. And, you know, I think with COVID everything that's been going on right now, 
we've just seen a lot of sloppy play from it seems like oh yeah the league just across the league it's Which so I many expected yes, to some exactly. extent I expected yeah. it's it's hit everybody different and you know you should expect it you know with this given situation it's it was just going to be a little rough for everybody to come in the back and um dealing with it and I think it's just been coming full circle and everybody's just watching it right now. Yeah, talk about sloppy play. I don't think there was a sloppier game than number nine Texas and Sam Ellinger who fell to TCU in the in-state matchup 33-31, to 26 penalties for over 200 yards. Talk about sloppy play, sloppy football. That's undisciplined. That game was back and forth the entire time. Not necessarily a shootout um, with only about 60 points scored. That's still a high-scoring game with two offenses that we saw that really could compete. But talk about... For me, it's like a Michigan-Michigan State, maybe on a little bit of a lower level because we know from being here what that rivalry means to those yeah. two schools, but how close that rivalry can really make that game. And I think it's something that is not mentioned enough. Yeah, number nine versus an unranked, but they don't see it like that. TCU doesn't see it like that. And I know yeah. damn well Texas doesn't see it like that. They want to go out there and compete with those guys. Yeah, definitely. I think Texas, any any in-state team where you guys are both from the same state, you know, you fight for that um, – you're fighting for a lot of the same recruits, yeah, too. That's part of it. Recruits. Like, a lot of guys know each other. Yeah, and then just, you know, trash talking and everything that goes on. And you want those bragging rights within your state um, with your communities that are, you know, close together being in the same state. Yeah. So, I think Texas probably wasn't looking at TCU as a big-time rivalry just because, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about, you know, the – um, Texas versus their, yeah. OU. Yeah. I feel like that's probably the that's, one that they have a little more emphasis on. Um, but still, to have 26 penalties against TCU is just kind of astonishing. That's both teams, both teams. But still, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, yeah, combined, that was just like mm-hmm. it was just way harder to watch, and it was frustrating. I'm sure for both teams, and Texas probably was not looking at them as much of a you know contender for beating them and then yeah. TCU just came in and punched them in the mouth they really did they got off to an early start and I think Texas really never recovered from that you know fully recovered from that they were in the game the entire time even leading at some points but obviously at the end of the day they did not win that matchup now another team that dropped out of the AP top 25 this week was previous number 11 UCF after losing to unranked Tulsa yeah now that was kind of a shock to me because UCF's kind of a team for me obviously um, a few seasons ago, they've had that, you know, they've had multiple great seasons where they put together a lot of big time wins. Um, but the thing from UCF that you don't see are a lot of big name players. Now you've had guys go to the uh, the NFL like the Griffins and um, there are still a lot of top tier talent on that team. But I think that's the thing that separates them right now from an Ohio State, from uh, a big time SEC team, LSU, whatever that is, to have your your poster guy. You know what I mean? To have that guy that the locker room rallies behind and I don't know if they have that just because I know a couple guys on the team right now, but not one of them is really coming out and bringing the attention to himself each and every week. Yeah. UCF is just like we talked about last week when we were talking about just the competition level between all of them. Honestly, they, you know, having them ranked um, before, you know, previous to this game at 11 and then after losing to Tulsa and now they're out, yeah. That's a big drop, you know. Huge. So that's snapping a 21-game winning streak at home. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's got to be tough for their, you know, team just because they've been fighting 
you know, just for those rights to be into just the, to get into the rankings. Yes, into the yeah. rankings for so long and to lose to that team, that pretty much just like guarantees, you know, the AP polls are now just gonna look at that and be like, you know, this is what we were talking about. This is why you weren't in there in the first yeah, place. You really So it was yeah. like they they couldn't really seize their opportunity that week. So it was like they had their opportunity to, you know, show them that you know, they are a contending team to be in that top 25 and losing to an unranked team, you know, that's just going to make them, you know, turn their cheek and not really look at them as, you know, one of those contending teams to be in the top 25 rankings. They gave the committee the excuse that they were waiting for to really kick them out. Exactly. I, I totally agree with what you're saying is that UCF, they were in a position just because of the league they're in. It was just a matter of circumstance. There's nothing, you know, what that they can do about it personally or as a team, as a program. But just the league that they're in and the competition that they play, you have to win out and you have to do so in a large fashion. And to lose to an unranked team like that after all those years of finally, even without the Big Ten right now in the Pac-12 in the yeah. rankings, to get up there to that number 11 spot, that probably felt great for that program. Exactly. And then just to lose that, like you said, that's not a setback like, oh, next week they might be back in it. That's a setback that's for the rest of the year and then maybe even next year. Um, obviously, if they win out, they could still come back. And I'm not saying the program's like over now because of one yeah. loss. But that setback for a Big Ten team or an SEC team Just is, a hole to dig out is nothing compared to a setback for a UCF. And that... Uh, that's just something that their program is really going to have to rally around and exactly. get back to. But a game that I'm looking forward to this week is Miami, who's currently at number seven, which the first time they've been up there in a while since oh, yeah. they were, that's got to be five to 10 years ago when mm -hmm. they were really prominent on the college football scene. They're traveling to Death Valley to play, obviously, the number one seed, Clemson, on Saturday night. And Clemson right now is averaging over 42 points per game. Which for Clemson, obviously they're talented on every single at every single facet of the game, but their defense has really been the mainstay uh, in past years. Although they are returning some really key pieces of that defense, and the defense, when I was looking at the roster, I was very surprised to see that it was a sophomore and junior dominated defense. But the thing that is super important for Clemson is that they have a senior at defensive line, a senior at the middle linebacker position, which is really the captain of the defense, Oh yeah, and a senior at the safety position. So they have these guys who have been at the university and have been winning at the university, more mm. importantly, for four or five years that are ushering in this new wave of Clemson defenders and coaching them up and really getting them in a position to succeed. And I think that is so invaluable for them right now. And they're oh, having yeah. that defense, that's carrying them on to a whole new two or three, three more years of yeah, exactly. insane defense. And that's, that's like obviously really important, you know, middle linebacker, safety and defensive end. That's pretty much the equivalent of having a senior quarterback, you know, receiver, running back, and then a, like a tackle. That's, those are going to be huge leadership positions for those, uh, you know, skill groups and, if you have a leader in each of those groups, whether it's, you know, inexperienced guys that are coming in, um, if you have those leaders that have been winning for a long time, as you said, that's just going to be huge for that, for that, uh, you know, defense or offense, whoever, um, you know, is losing those bunch of guys, whether it's to the league or um, graduation or that kind of thing. So that's going to be huge for Clemson in this game. Yeah, let's talk about Miami a little bit. Now, last week, they go out and beat in-state rival Florida State by 40 points and make a huge statement, but their head coach, Manny Diaz, was not um, you know, on top of the world after the game. He was really brought down. He had a very humble uh, post-game speech, You know, gave credit where credit was due, and said all of the right things, basically. But one thing I really like that he said is that 
we're going to face our most difficult opponent of the year this week, and that's not Clemson. And he's talking about the bye week that they have in between. That was last week, their bye. Yeah. Excuse me. So two weeks ago was when they beat Florida State handedly. Mm-hmm. Um, but that bye week, that's something that coming off a big win, a rival win by 40 points, your guys are feeling on top of the world. You're 3-0 and for the first time in a, a few years, really. And you're off to this awesome start, and the program's just got to be electric. What is that bye week, and why is it? Why do you think it's a challenge for them, or why do you think he sees it as a challenge? Obviously, with like a, a stop in momentum is what I see is probably what he was talking totally. about. Totally. Um, you know, forty points coming off a rivalry game, the energy's high, and then to come to that, you know, that bye week and have just kind of a slow week. You're going through practice, going through the motions. You know, it, it's it's different from having high energy, having that little break on Sunday, um, and then getting right back into it, keeping the same energy. You know. Because that Monday practice after a big win like that is going to be completely different than, you know, when you know you're not playing anybody. You know, you can sit here and say guys aren't going to go through the motions, but they're human. They're going to go through the yeah, motions. Seriously, like and they're college kids. Exactly. Like a lot of these guys are, you know, like in our situation, like 19 years old, they'll have to, you know, 23, 24 years old. And we expect them because they're at this stage and they've been in the spotlight for so long. A lot of these guys, even coming out of high school with all the stars and recruiting and they've been in front of cameras and microphones and whatever, we expect them to handle themselves with class. And I think that for the most part, a lot of college athletes do a really good job of that. But at the end of the day, they're still, they're still student athletes. They're still young and they're really kids. Like we're still really kids. And we're, Becoming grown men when the process of becoming men, but yeah, exactly right now is it, people are learning a lot about themselves, a lot about them, their teammates, their life. friends, and life in general. So I think that, like you said, it's hard to hold them accountable. Sometimes it really has to come from within, and that's the programs that we see, like Clemson, like LSU, like Alabama, these mainstay college football powerhouses. That's where they separate themselves from the rest. Is they have this accountability, and their teammates. And their coaches and everyone hold each other accountable, and it comes from within. There's no press that enforces it or brings about yeah. change. There's no outside influences. Everything comes from within. Exactly. So talk about NFL now. Let's go on to the National Football League, where COVID is rampant as ever. The reigning Defensive Player of the Year, Stephon Gilmore, who I'm which I'm sure that most of you are familiar with, playing for the New England Patriots, has tested positive for COVID-19 as of today, October seventh and will be out for two weeks. What does that mean for the Patriots? Obviously, okay, especially with now you have your top defensive player Yep, and probably I, I would consider Cam probably their top offensive player. Too. I would also say so. That's, that's huge for the Patriots. You know, Belichick, um, I don't know. Did you see last week when they are playing um, the Chiefs and they didn't call that fumble yep. on Patrick Mahomes? Yep. How it's honestly, if you take that little – snapshot of his reaction it's got to be pretty much what he's thinking right now because you know and that you're talking about one of the greatest coaches of all time and if not the greatest that's huge because now you have both of your biggest impact players on both sides of the ball out you know how are they gonna bounce back after that you know i mean it wasn't too bad of a loss to um the Chiefs. The and defending everything. Super Bowl champions, and yeah. That's a great team, but it's going to be hard to rebound without those guys for two weeks. Oh, totally. It's, it's going to be that's going to be a process for them. So um, I'm, I'm excited to see what they have to do. You know, if they get a win out of any of these two weeks, I will be that's that'll be huge for them because I feel like those are two guys that are going to be key, you know, for putting those uh, wins in that column. 
And if anyone can do it, I think it's Bill Belichick. If anyone can make do exactly. with as little as possible, it's going to be Billy from Subway commercials. That's what it's going to be. But basically, it was Stephon Gilmore who was actually linked to the case of Cam Newton. It was reported by multiple sources that they were together on Friday night before the game. And yeah. that's why those cases are connected. But what also wasn't reported as much because it wasn't as much of a big name was a practice squad defensive lineman who contracted COVID on the Patriots. And so when that third case came out, that especially when the Titans uh, Titans Steelers game was postponed, it was that third case that really put it over the edge and talked yeah. about postponing the game. And there were a lot of arguments for postponing the Patriots Chiefs game. But obviously that doesn't happen. And now we have to question the contract, uh, con- excuse me, contact tracing of the Patriots and maybe the NFL because if they knew that Cam and Stephon Gilmore were together on that Friday night and they continue to let him go out and play in this game, now all of a sudden, like there's pictures of him, like you know, dapping up Mahomes after the game, all these big time Chiefs players. What do you do now? You go and watch the film and see who he was next to and in contact with. Like, how do they handle that? And I don't, I don't know how they're going to. Yeah, honestly, I don't really know either because yeah. Uh, it has to be something with um, what the NFL is going to do for their protocols and that kind of thing. Um, but it's it's going to be hard to see how close, um, whether his – you're not going to be able to tell, honestly. Yeah. Like, you're not going to be able to tell. Um, all that matters is that, you know, he was in contact with those guys, and no matter what, he was all on the same field um, – I guess you could watch practice field, uh, practice film, excuse me, um, but it's it's going to be so hard to say, yeah, what what actually he gave it to, and um, you know what times he yeah. would have given somebody COVID. So it's it, that's going to be something hard to see. I'm I'm definitely going to look into seeing how they're going to trace trace that back. And I think they'll start releasing some more information as to how exactly they yeah, go exactly. about that process, just so the general public and the teams especially are informed how they go about that process. Yeah. Because right now, as the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, explains, the definition of close contact, and I use air quotes there, is 15 minutes or more of exposure within six feet of somebody. And that, you know, it, there's so many different things that that can go through, whether you're outside, inside, wearing a mask, not wearing a mask. Yeah. There are different things that go into that to make that uh, to make that uh, definition of close contact. But on a football field, a lot of those things go out the window. These guys aren't wearing masks when they're covering each other. And when you like to think, like you said, that they're on the sideline and they're, they're going to be self-aware and wear the mask and do the right thing. But for a lot of these guys, they're out there trying to make a paycheck and support their exactly. families. I'm sure the last thing that they're worried about is, you know, pulling the mask up over the nose and mouth when in between snaps. Yeah. Um, actually I feel like that might go both ways just because, um, I know that you can opt out. Do you know what that does to your contract by any chance? So the NFL has a set pay, I believe for those who opt out. And I'm at right now at the moment, I'm not sure of what that number is, but I know that the NFL gave all the players an opportunity and said, we'll pay you this base salary. So if basically you the equivalent to, to, you know, the NCAA giving them eligibility. Yeah. Okay. At a professional level where it's their careers. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. That's going to be hard to tell. Um, like you said, with, it's with football, having a helmet on, trying to put a mask up over it and that kind of thing. It's 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 hard to tell because, you know, you could say, oh, well, I have a face mask in front of me anyways. And yeah. it's hard to put a mask up under your chin strap. You know, we've been doing it at practice mm-hmm. and that's difficult. 
It sucks. Especially trying to run. <laughs> Difficult is an understatement. And, uh, you know, me trying to go through my cadence. And, you know, sometimes people aren't hearing me because I got this freaking felt in front of my face. <laughs> so it's like, um, I don't know. It's it's definitely difficult. And um, it's hard to just say, you know, well, if he wasn't wearing a mask, then he's the reason that they got the exactly like that yeah. kind of thing. I don't know. That's going to be hard to tell. Very so I just looked up those numbers, actually, and it looks like right now, as it stands, there are already, obviously, players who have opted out of this season, and those who have a, quote, medical reason to opt out of the season will make a $350,000 salary, which, for us, obviously sounds like a hell of a lot of money, but for multi-million dollar athletes, this is something that they're not just going to opt out of the season so they can make a quick buck and go sit on their, you know, sit on the couch. A lot of these guys are still motivated to play, but exactly, you know, nonetheless, if you do not have a medical reason for opting out of the season and you still choose to do so, you'll still get a two hundred thousand dollar stipend pay. So exactly, I think that's probably a good number for them. It's it's not enough where somebody's going to go sit on the couch and collect it because. That you got to think too, like these guys want to play and yeah. you don't get unlimited years to play this game, just like any game, but football, especially your career could only be a couple of years. So yeah. for you to sit out and potentially miss out on getting a contract or a contract extension for a lot of these guys cases, yeah, I don't think it's worth it for a lot of them. And the other thing that I also have to look at is just like, you know, some of these guys are used to making, you know, a certain amount of money. Oh yeah. Um, and you never know what bills they have to pay, what they have to pay off. Yeah. You know, you don't know if maybe, you know, 200000 isn't is enough. So it's like, you know, you don't know what they have to be doing. Um, maybe that's just that maybe that's just not cutting it. 200000 for some of the guys that are, you know, living in these big mansions, $200 <laughs> might not be cutting it. So yeah, it's well, like, that's a lifestyle change. Exactly. Right? If you're not prepared and you don't, which a lot of these guys at this Buying level have, food, yeah, it's like, well, exactly. Well, it's just it's living a little bit differently, and it's it would be a lifestyle change yeah. for them, and that's something that, if anything, they want to avoid. They want to be out there playing with their teammates, and if they don't have a medical reason, the vast majority of guys have opted to stay in for this season, and uh, I'm sure players and coaches in the league are very thankful for that, but the fans are. The fans have to be just to be able to sit and play football. We've talked about it at length. How. Football, even though you could say it's just a sport and it's just guys playing, whatever, how that has brought back a realm of normalcy back into our culture and our society. Yeah. I think that has really grounded at least us the past couple of weeks. And oh, for sure. With COVID going on and everything, that's the one slice of normal that we might get throughout the weekend. And it feels exactly. Great. Oh, I, I love being able to watch football on Sundays. That was one of the big things that I was like, you know, really worried about. Oh, Obviously, yeah. I wanted to play really bad. Um, but also thinking about it, like, with the whole situation of us, you know, maybe not being able to have fans and I don't know, I feel like that would be kind of weird to not have like your first experience, not having, you know, that same environment yeah. and that event is going to be, you know, something special to be where you're sitting in your first game and you know, you have a crowd behind you. I feel like that's, that's going to be cool where if, if our first game will have that. Um, mm -hmm. And as of right now, I don't think that would have happened. So I can't necessarily say that I'm extremely pissed off that, yeah. you know, we're not playing, but being definitely being able to watch NFL, being able to watch some college ball on the weekends, it just you know makes you feel like you know everything's just a snapshot of being back to normal, like you said. 
Yeah. Now looking around the rest of the NFL, we'll get away from New England Patriots and Stephon Gilmore and the Subway commercial superstar that is Bill Belichick. So Nick Foles comes in and gets his first start against the Indianapolis Colts after coming in for Trubisky a week before and getting that win against the Falcons. Uh, the Bears now drop to three and one. They're no longer undefeated. And Nick Foles really looked like a savior in that game against the Falcons. Um, comes out still has a decent game, but they only put up 11 points on the board. And that's something that as an NFL starting quarterback at any franchise, you cannot allow. So the opinion in Chicago right now, I don't know. I think they're very split right now, and that it's not a good it's not a good problem to have to be split in your quarterback room between a Mitch Trubisky who's been the guy as opposed to a Nick Foles who has been the guy but just in other yeah. situations and not yet in Chicago. Honestly, I think for whether what happens to these quarterbacks, I think <clears throat> I think what they need to do is have Trubisky get traded, um, keep Foles. Um, Foles is the guy then. Honestly, I think I think Foles should just be the dude for the rest of the season. Just leave him in there. Um, trade away Trubisky. See if you can get something out of him, and then just draft some dude. Like you know, I think Trey Lance would be a great really for them. I think Trey Lance would be obviously. Um, he's coming out of North Dakota. Yeah. Um, winning culture. Exactly. He's a FCS big time level. talent. Um, and we saw Carson Wentz come out of there. Um, made a lot of noise in his first few years oh, um, yeah. before his injuries. And I, my opinion still stands. I think Carson Wentz is still a great quarterback. Um, he hasn't played the best, but I think he still has the talent level to um, still compete in the NFL. Comes away with that win. I was going to say, they had a big win this past week. Exactly. Too. I think – anyways, getting off that track, yeah. um, Trey Lance, I think they need to draft somebody you know of that caliber um, and then have maybe full still stay – and then do kind of what Fitzpatrick is doing with um, – I, I think those are similar situations. You know, Fitzpatrick bit, yeah. has been all over the league. Foles has been all over the league. And I think you take somebody like how Miami took Tua, and whether it's Trey Lance or just another big caliber guy, and then maybe make them sit for a year or I don't even know. You know, yeah, maybe do what LA is doing with Herbert. So. Yeah. You know, Herbert's making a lot of noise this year. So, Oh, yeah. We're about um, to talk about him in a second. Exactly. But like you said, a guy like Fitzpatrick or Fitzmagic, as he's been known, these veteran, I guess you could call them like a journeyman quarterback who exactly. have been, been around, around. They've seen the league. They've been all these div different divisions, different side, AFC, NFC, whatever it is. They've been exposed to so many different locker rooms, so many different personalities, and all that makes them is a wealth of knowledge. Now, whether or yeah. not they're, you know, they have the best talent in the game, which Fish Magic is showing right now that he really does still have the talent to play in this Definitely. league and play at a high level. But what that makes them is a wealth of knowledge for a guy like Tua coming into the league to be able to um, learn not only on the field, but just the off the field tendencies, how to exactly. really get the be locker a pro. room. Yeah, how to get the locker room on your side as an NFL caliber quarterback and do all the intricate things of a business that the NFL really is. That's something that I think Nick Foles could provide to somebody like a Trey Lance or something along those lines. Exactly. Yeah. So you talk about Justin Herbert a little bit. Uh, even though he did not pick up the win, he had an awesome showing against uh Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, but the Buccaneers come away with five touchdowns behind Brady and 370 passing yards. I think Brady's getting a little bit more comfortable in that uh, Bruce Arians offense, but like you said, Justin Herbert is making a ton of noise in LA and that team that it needs it. That Chargers team really needs it. Oh, After exactly. that close loss to the Chiefs, they really showed up and that was a team, like you said, Super Bowl defending champs, all these offensive weapons. And first of all, their defense showed up because they only held them to 20-some points, which yeah. for the Chiefs is something that they don't want to happen at all. Yeah. But Herbert kept them in that game as well. And I think um, 
you know, with Tyrod Taylor going down to the unfortunate uh, lung piercing with a like a painkiller yeah. or something like that. Yeah, it was something crazy, absolutely ridiculous. But Tyrod Taylor is in the same boat as a Fitzpatrick. Yeah, he's been, all the way around. he's been really around everywhere. He, unlike Fitzpatrick, hasn't gotten as many starting jobs, hasn't really been able to have that chance of leading a program as long as a Fitzpatrick has. Yeah. Um, but he's still that wealth of knowledge, and I think it's starting to show up with Herbert. Yeah, definitely. I think Justin Herbert's a great quarterback. People were calling him a, a bust in his draft class. and um, Not now. Yeah, exactly. You can't really put that on his name now because just such a huge-sized dude, <clears throat> got a good release. Um can make all the throws on the field. Um, I don't know if you watched on his pro day when he did like flat foot sixty yards. Yeah, that's just impressive and um, it's arm talent. Yeah, and did you watch by any chance? Did you watch Hard Knocks? Yeah, this year. Yeah, he looks good in his training camp, and um, obviously the coaches are behind him. I watched that for a little bit. Um, seemed as they really liked his talent, um, his stride length. You know, he's just a big athletic kid, and I think he'll transition well to the NFL. Obviously, he's been doing extremely well for himself so far. Um, but like you said, Ben, he went against, you know, back to back Mahomes and Brady. Yeah. It's like, right. And you're still making that much noise in the league. That's just impressive. So obviously I think that kid's going to do, he's going to do great things in the league. And, um, I can't wait to see him excel, um, later in the season. Now the GM for the chargers actually said they didn't know where they were going to fall, what quarterback is going to be available. So they said they're going to take Herbert or they're going to take Tugavailoa. Yeah. They didn't know which one. And they honestly said they were fine with either. So right now I'm pretty sure they're feeling very confident with having Justin Herbert or air bear as they're calling him at the helm. I think they're super comfortable with him, but let's bring it back a little bit closer to home, at least for me and and for you as well. The Detroit lions, Detroit Lions are back to being the Detroit Lions that we know and that we do not love because they go and they lose to the Saints after coming out to a 14-0 lead in the first few minutes of the first quarter. That was surprising. Honestly, oh my I was like, holy crap, they actually put up 14 points. And yeah. then I obviously I was like, yeah. They're the Lions. You expect and they're going to they're going to lose it, but and that's, still. You're sitting there and I have this like gut feeling. And we're up 14 nothing. I should feel nothing but ecstatic about oh, the way the sure. Lions are playing. You have an interception off Drew Brees, you have a quick offensive touchdown and a prominent yeah. drive, and you're just sitting there and it doesn't feel right because you know what's coming. Yeah. And it's terrible because it comes no matter what. It doesn't matter what you do, but it still comes and I think now it's time for Matt Patricia to go as the head coach of the Detroit Lions. Yeah. As the comments that he said coming out of that game, he sets right now at a 10-25-1 record through his tenure in Detroit with the Lions. And the comment he made after the game when asked about why he thinks he's still the right coach for this organization, he pointed a finger. He said, you know, when I came in here, there was a lot of work to be done. Um, I don't know about that, Big Matt. Neither do I. And so... Um, it was interesting. We had Dan Orlovsky uh, was on it. Uh, he's been on several shows now, different podcasts, Pat McAfee show, different on ESPN, everything. He really has been going on a tirade against uh, Matt Patricia and that Lions organization because he had the chance to play for Jim Caldwell, the predecessor yeah. of Matt Patricia, who Caldwell went nine and seven in his last two seasons. And Orlovsky obviously has a little bit of an emotional tie to Caldwell being that he even admitted that was his favorite coach he's ever played for. Yeah. So for him to be out of there, he played on one year under Patricia and um, obviously did not have as nice of things to say about Patricia. Now, do I think Patricia is a non-qualified coach to be in this league? Not at all. I think yeah. he obviously has had many success uh, as, a de- as a defensive coordinator. He's known as a defensive guru. Oh, yeah. But 
the head coaching position is not for everyone. I think we're finding out right now that it might not be for Patricia, at least not in Detroit. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying you can't go somewhere else and make, you know, make it big with some other team. But I think right now, and I don't like the way that he points fingers like that. I really don't. I think I think it's unprofessional. Coach, it, it really is. For your position, your job is to take that heat, whether it be from media or other teams or coaches or whatever it is. That's your job is to sit yeah. there and take it for your organization. Either way, though, when he said that there's work to be done, Jim Caldwell has beaten him both out of the two years that Patricia has been there. He's blown him out of the water. Nine and seven compared to, you know, his record right now. You know, last year only yeah. winning, what, what was it, uh, three games? Yeah. Uh, work to be done, my ass. I mean, holy crap, dude. That's like nine and seven compared to three wins. That they, if anything, Lions fans should be like, um, please give me Jim Caldwell, right? Like, so, that's, so that was one of the things that's been going around circulating on social media is like, is it too late to call Jim back? Is exactly. it too late? Because he put them in a position. Now, obviously, they didn't win a playoff game because they haven't in like 20-some years, yeah. right? Almost 25 years. But Jim Caldwell put them in a position where they were playing uh, the Green Bay Packers at the end of the season with a chance to get a playoff berth. Yeah. Now, what the Lions said, what the Ford family, the owners, the Ford family said when moving on to Patricia is that they wanted to take the next step. And I think right now the organization has done they anything but They took a step back, yeah. if anything, and... I, me not really being a Lions fan, I care way more about the Packers and I yeah. re- read way more into the Packers. Um, but for you, what do you <laughs> think? For me. Honestly, what do you think is going to be the thing? Because it seems like every coach that, you know, the, the Lions have brought in, it's either they stay at this like 500 level or they just are complete dookie and they just are at the bottom the entire time. I think, what to, do you think needs to happen? Cause Holy crap, this organization is just like almost becoming the joke of the NFL. It really is. And it sucks to watch. But what I think is that the new head coach for the D- Detroit lions, excuse me, is going to be screwed. And I think that because right now you have Matthew Stafford, who's a veteran in this league, who's been banged up for years, but he's still playing very high quality football for this organization. Oh yeah. Definitely. He's sick of losing. He's sick of this and that. I'm sure even though he would never come out and publicly say that, no. I know he is because he's a competitor. When you have a new head coach coming in, probably a younger head coach, most likely, and he's going to probably get a longer contract to, you know, get his time to get his people in there, get his culture established what do you do with a veteran quarterback like that? We saw it with Matt Rule coming over to the Panthers, getting rid of Cam Newton. And I think it's a lose-lose situation, at, yeah. at least off the bat, for a new head coach. Because you can either you know stick with Matt Stafford and then you have the naysayers of, you know, you're not really starting your own regime here. You're just kind of sticking with this mediocrity and you're yeah. okay with that. Or you dump Stafford and then half the fan base is pissed. Exactly. I... Honestly, Stafford still is the most underrated quarterback in the league. That's coming from a Packers fan. There so, it is. Let's um, go. He's definitely the most underrated. He's a very talented quarterback. Um, sometimes in a couple games, I didn't really necessarily. This past week, he yeah. did not look like the regular Matt Stafford. Yeah, there exactly. Was especially like the interceptions in the end zone. And there was a couple very yeah. errant throws that looked non-Matt so, Stafford. Yeah, some of, the, some of the throws that he's made. But overall, pretty consistent oh, yeah. in what his Throughout play his is. career. And definitely throughout his career, just man, the the injuries that he's had. Yeah, you know, for him to come back season after season and deal with those injuries and still play at a high level is honestly pretty impressive. Um, but I think they need to stay with him. I think what you know, I I think it needs to be almost like a Bears thing too. Um, maybe I I would enjoy for Stafford's sake. Him to go to another team, I think he would be way more successful in another yeah. franchise. It'd be hard to watch, but I'm with you. I think exactly. I would enjoy. I would enjoy seeing him possibly get some wins with another program. Exactly, and it's hard to say, but 
he would be a great mentor for somebody. And, um, you know, obviously with the track that they're on right now, they might get the number one pick. If they get the number one pick. I mean, as long as if the Jets don't square up and, you know, do something, then they're going to be in a position. But exactly. Yeah, if still early, 17, it's, it's hard to say. Season, but, the, yeah. but then again, I don't think the Jets are going to go for a quarterback. So it's like if that's true, the Jets they have do, Sam Darnold, yeah. Sam Darnold is still playing at a high He's level. Still their and, guy. And, um, I don't think they would go for a quarterback. Honestly, I think they would just go for a different position. You're right. But say it was them at the second um, pick. I feel like they'd have to go for like you know maybe a Trevor Lawrence and then possibly tank for Trevor. Put it, yeah, exactly. And then put Matthew Stafford in the position to maybe um, you know teach him for a couple, probably just one year, trade Stafford away, maybe get some good players out of it, and then. You know, I feel like that's a win-win for an organization. It could be on, on if that they play level. if they play their cards right. It definitely exactly. could be. And but we know, as in the past, the Lions tend to not play their cards right, especially ever since the Calvin Johnson curse. They refuse oh, to pay Lord. the man Calvin Johnson and Sheila Ford and the Ford family. And I just there's so much there. We're just gonna leave it at that because I don't feel like exhausting my breath on that topic anymore. I really don't. But the last thing. I wanted to cover today is something looking more forward into the future. Uh, that is at least for the Carolina franchise. And that is their new practice facility that they just released the concepts for on uh, their social media accounts. And this is located in Rock Hill, South Carolina. The facility's first phase is scheduled to be complete in early summer of 2023. And the Panthers get this are investing over a billion dollars in the development and construction of this new facility. Now, it will be warranted. Let me just let me just read you off some of the facts here from this site that is going to be constructed in Rock Hill. So it will include much more than the obvious, the indoor practice facility, which, by the way, is 120,000 square foot. It will also have multiple football fields outside, <coughs> one synthetic turf field, three regular grass fields that will all obviously be maintained. There will be meeting rooms for coaches and personnel inside. It will also include, and this is the kind of the interesting part about it because it really adds... Uh, a surplus of jobs in the area. It's going to add a bustle to that certain area of Rock Hill in South yeah. Carolina. Um, but there will be restaurants, a few retail shops in there. So, like, go shopping, go get something to eat. There will be a healthcare facility, apartments, hotels, trails connecting all of these buildings and facilities, and office space, along with, like I said, all of the practice facilities inside. Yeah, that's uh, unheard of. That's as extremely like a huge step for the NFL. Um, it is. And now, it, like I said, it's not coming out for another three years, but I'll give you a couple more numbers here to chew on it for a little bit. The indoor practice facility I already gave you, but that doesn't even account for the 20,000 square foot weight room, the 6,000 square foot locker room and the 5,000 square foot hydrotherapy room with hot and cold baths for the athletes, you know, before and after competition. Sounds pretty cool. I, that I sounds, enjoy that. that sounds awesome. That sounds like something that uh, I would like here. But yeah, exactly. You, I don't you, know you think if that's, that's in our market. I was going to say, you think that's in the, that's in the budget in the nah, near future? Pro probably not. Probably not. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe it might get there. But, you know, hydrotherapy, we'll see. Maybe yeah. maybe it's in the near future. We do have the Dome. For those of you who do not know, oh, we play yeah. in the Superior Dome, Dome, which is absolutely awesome. It was made in the late, I want to say like 19, what was it? Late. It's been around for almost 100 years, I believe, or maybe like 60, 70 years. The Dome? Yeah. Uh, The Dome, no. I thought so. Or no, the Dome. I thought it was older. Or no. We'll restart that. Yeah, because the Dome... um. I thought it was like at least 50 years, 60 yeah, years. No, no, no. Because like when... 100 when might Mooch? be an overstatement. Oh, no, no, It wasn't even... Like when, when they won the national championship, they didn't have it. In 75? Yeah, no, they didn't have... Dude, this is pretty recent. What? 
Yeah. Fuck, I'm tripping, dude. Yeah, I was like, 100 years, I was like, what the shit? Yeah, I want to say That's it was like I mean. 1980s, late 1980s. 1991. Yeah, I was going to say. Holy shit, restart that. <laughs> 100 dude, years. Up. It feels like it's like 50 or 60 years old. Uh I don't know. That's that. It's pretty advanced in like that's true. That's the true. way that okay. it's architecture. I never said anything. I never said. Yeah, anything. honestly, just for those of you who don't know, we play in the Superior Dome that was constructed in the early 1990s, um, and it's been awesome to play in. It's an indoor uh, air controlled field, and we have you know everything we need, especially being up here in Marquette in the Upper Peninsula. When you get into those winter months, trying to play football oh, yeah. in October, November, possibly December, if you're you know making that playoff run, which we have not done in past years, but if you're playing football like that, you need something like this because exactly. especially for an NFL team. Now, I don't know in South Carolina, are they really going to have to deal with the elements that much? That is yet to be determined. Yeah. Honestly, that was the thing that was kind of shocking to me is that it's an indoor practice facility. And I guess, you know, the weather could get a little weird there with, yeah. uh, you know, just maybe like, like, you know, um, it's nice to have and yeah, situ- just like situation. Yeah. I don't know. The ocean, you know, maybe some ocean <laughs> effect. Ocean. And you get some ocean effect in there and, um, you know, rain and stuff like that. I mean, I guess you're, you're not going to want your guys out in the in the rain and um, against the elements. But definitely, like, here having the dome is going to be huge for us because we're going to be able to do off-season training, um, yeah. you know, in those winter months where you're not going to want to go outside and, you know, try and hurdle, you know, snow that's up to our hips. So yeah. it's like, honestly, that was another, you know – big reason for like the recruiting here you gotta love the dome yeah the dome is insane so it's, it's like, unique right it's, it's, it's nothing nothing's really like it so yeah it's it's so cool to play in there and um you know be with our team right now but anyways with this with this practice facility what you were talking about um you know with like the Bengals. Yeah, I feel like that would be a little bit more of a necessity for them in, instead of, you know, maybe the Panthers. Yeah, so that's what I was about to get into. Right now, the Cincinnati Bengals are currently the nor- the most northern franchise without a proper indoor practice facility. Right now, they have a resurfaced court. They, they slap some turf on, and it's like half a field. Yeah. That's all they have. So right now, if they want to do any type of indoor work as a team or franchise, whatever, they actually bus up to the University of Cincinnati and will rent out their facilities in an emergency. Yeah. And I think that... I didn't really realize, you know, really coming from me, just being a fan of the NFL in general, the disparity of funding from franchise to franchise and whether that be the owners and how much money they have as opposed to like records and how much revenue your team brings in. I never realized that there was this disparity of funding between programs. Yeah. And I don't know. I definitely think the Bengals need an indoor practice facility. Oh my goodness. That should be something that they probably should put top priority on. It adds to their reputation. Yeah, exactly. And what the biggest win for them, you know, coming this week with yeah, Joe Burrow, exactly him being ranked, you know, the first, the top um, rookie. That's good for him. He needs to, um, you know, stay on the same path. And him, I, I don't know. Did you check out the um, rankings for the rookies? Top rookies, yeah, yeah. So Justin Jefferson was up there as number well. Number two, Clyde. Um, Clyde made it in at like number seven or number eight. It was we had uh, Tristan. Tristan Wirfs was up there, the offensive tackle. A, a bunch of really big names who have been making yeah. some noise in the league. But like you said, Joe Burrow was on the top of that, and uh, three well, LSU guys in the top ten. That is awesome, isn't that? So that's that's crazy. All offensive dude. That's crazy. But yeah, that's that's something that's really unheard of when you think about it. Oh, seriously, three dudes coming out of one university, 
and all making noise in the NFL at pretty much the same time. Uh, I mean, you have a much better chance when 14 of your guys yeah, exactly. are selected, right? And I was, I was kind of surprised that Chase Young, you know, they were saying that he was just going to be like the freak athlete. Yeah, the draft, now and he drops down to six. Yeah, I mean, he's still had like a good year and he's been producing, but not yeah. to the level that I think people were expecting. Yeah, definitely. There was a, I feel like there was an extreme amount of hype um, surrounding him coming oh, yeah. into the season. But, you know, Joe Burrow. Uh, he just set the record. It was like um, the first rookie to do like 300 yards in for each of his first three yeah. games. They got a record for everything. Though. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> exactly. They really do. But hey, they got to just find it. He said it though. Yeah, he exactly. So no one's ever done it before. But that is all we have for this episode of Division One Rejects. I want to thank you once again for listening, watching, whatever you're doing. And please, really, if you enjoyed this in some capacity or whatsoever, go tell your friends about it. Uh, get some more people on here listening to some good GLIAC college and professional football. And uh, that would really mean a lot. So thank you guys so much. And have a great weekend. Watch some football. Wildcats.